Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Today, we welcome Sarah DeArmond from Instagram and TikTok, also known as it Sarah Honley. Today, we welcome Sarah DeArmond from Instagram and TikTok, also known as it Sarah Honley. She is a prison advocate who has dedicated her life to finding justice for people in the system that have been wrongly convicted. She DM'd us on Instagram a while ago about the possibility of coming on the podcast to talk about the voiceless behind bars in general, but specifically about Timothy Magruder's case. Timothy was wrongfully convicted for a murder he did not commit and she has been advocating for him for over a year. Sarah is here today to share her story and her passion. Welcome to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller. I want to, you know, I always try to figure out different ways to ask about people's past, like who they are. But today I thought it'd be interesting just to ask you, what do you think people should know about you? When I first got started into working with the wrongfully convicted, this started in 2020. Before then, how do I put this? It's not that I you know, was sitting there a hateful person, but I was not actively working on myself to be anti-racist. I was not, I was comfortable okay. being in my bubble. I was not willing to speak up, or at least not often, but I will admit it, although I believe I would have eventually got there, what got me there sooner was George Floyd. Yeah, and okay. um, that's what just broke me, and I can't explain it. Um. But that's when I started getting involved with Black Lives Matter. And um, that year, I was also going to therapy for PTSD. And I was talking to my therapist, who was also about Black Lives Matter. I'd done TikTok briefly in the past. You know, didn't know what I was doing. But I'm like, I want to go back to TikTok and talk about Black Lives Matter. What do you think? And he said, yeah, go for it. So went to TikTok, and that's when... I started learning about wrongful convictions. A friend of mine tagged me in a video about Purvis Payne. I was horrified because I knew they existed. I knew they happened, but didn't realize how common they are. And so that got the ball rolling. So in 2021, I started doing it full time. So let's go back because I'm a therapist. And whenever people say therapy, I like to acknowledge it. I'm sorry that you have a history of PTSD, but I'm also... Really happy that you've been in therapy to work on Thank it. That's a, that's a wonderful process for thriving is what I like to say. I agree. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. Now, do you mind if we talk a little bit about the diagnosis of neurodivergence? Yes, absolutely. So you were 16 when you were diagnosed. I was, yes. What was that like? 15 years. Were you trying to figure out what's up? I think a little differently. Yes, like, exactly. Like um, my mom and I, my mom kept getting me to take me and get tested and mm-hmm. uh, just test after test after test growing up. And we knew certain things like, you know, I just because I turn my head doesn't mean I'm not listening. So we learned a few things, but I kept getting misdiagnosed. And we also understood that when it comes to similar to dyslexia, I, there were, Questions I'd be asked on a test, but if they worded it in a certain way, wouldn't understand it. 
So we understood that. But it wasn't until I was 16 where we sat down with a psychiatrist and he nailed everything about me to a T. And that's when I was officially diagnosed. He just nailed everything. So I've heard that, uh, and I don't know how true this is, but I think I saw it on a show, that women are less diagnosed with neurodivergence than men or girls than boys. Is that? Do you know if that's true or not? I have not heard that, that but wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. Something like it's missed more often in girls than it is in boys mm-hmm. growing up. And so there's a lot of late diagnoses. Okay. And so after that, what did it offer you when you figured, when you got some validation for, okay, this is how I think, this is just who I am. What did that do for you? So it did help me with school getting more accommodations, although teachers definitely, some teachers were very loving about it. There were others that weren't thrilled about doing accommodations. Um, We're not happy about it, but um, me personally, it's not that I was ashamed, but about neurodivergency at the time, people didn't really understand, so I mm. kept quiet. And as I got older, when I tell people, they'd be like, "Oh, I'm sorry." I'm like, "Why? Why are you sorry?" But since joining stuff like TikTok, many other people with neurodivergency who wow. have been through similar things, and I'm like, "Okay, not just me." So I become more comfortable in expressing it. I think it's so important when people can embrace whatever it is they've been given in life and figure out how to integrate it into who they are. I agree. Um, Their personality. I mean, it sounds like it empowered you in a way to seek other people and find your people, if you will. Yes. And for other people to remove the stigma. Yes, exactly. Right? Like, that's so important. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit. I'm not going to lie. The first thing I and many others want to know and figure out is how does a white woman from Alabama become so passionate about prison advocacy? And I understand that you had an awakening. I want to hear that completely. But I'm sure there are people pulling at you and saying, why are you taking this on? Why haven't you bailed on it? That's an excellent question. A very fair one. So growing up, my mom has always been very progressive. And uh, what happened with her was that growing up, she was raised in a conservative Christian household. She started going to University of Alabama to study journalism. She started off by writing for the newspaper there at the school. They told her, be unbiased. So she did, and she saw other points of view, and she went, oh, this makes sense. And that's how she became more progressive. That's how she raised me to be more progressive. Now, I still had a lot of work to do throughout my life, adulthood. I always will have work to do, but still, when it comes to getting involved, I would still seek out content online about, especially hearing about police brutality and also hearing about how things aren't inclusive at all, from the media to cosmetics, hearing about that. I was like, okay, I want to do more research about this. Learning more about my privilege that I have just always taken for granted. Just always, oh yeah, just our life and seeking out other people's point of view, whether it's a YouTube video, an article. And uh, like I said, police brutality did leave a mark, not just on me, but my mom as well. 
my sister. And so I was already seeking out information, but the awakening did happen in 2020. I think that one of the things that you're saying, it's really important. I want to emphasize is the fact that it helped that your mom was already progressing. Very much so. Of course. That was really helpful. Also, I think along with how it sounds like your mom raised you was empathy and compassion in general. And then also receiving a diagnosis of other, of othering that happens when you think differently than people. It makes you vulnerable. And I believe that vulnerability is how we find each other. I agree. And so you were primed for it. You were primed to be, raise your awareness enough and become active about it. So I think it's great. I just know people question that. And so I wanted to ask no, the question. I completely understand. So I loved your TikTok where you had a microphone and was saddened by the fact that is there really 200,000 people, innocent people, uh, imprisoned in the injustice system? And how do we know that number? How do they track that number? The Innocence Project estimates there's at least 20,000, but they have said, I like the Innocence Project, I really do, but they have said they're not unsure of the number. There's a really close friend of mine who has made this her life's work about wrongful conviction. She has done research to find that number, but she said, it's still, that's a ballpark number. You know, you know when it comes to people who have been wrongfully convicted, it's around two people a day that it happens to. That's unbelievable. I, I know. It's unbelievable. And I wish, and that's what other advocates, myself, other advocates are trying to put out there, is that this needs to make you know, national news. This needs to make, be a regular part of the media. And I am thankful for wrongful convictions that have made major media, but we need to talk about this more. Two questions come up for me. One is, you know, there's people like Kim Kardashian who gets a lot of credit when there's people who behind the scenes like you and hundreds of others have been working for many, many years to make it happen. Is it helpful when a celebrity, I mean, obviously it's helpful because a person gets exposure and awareness is raised, but how does it feel, or is it helpful, you think, to the masses working behind the scenes? So when it comes to people like Kim Kardashian, a lending a helping hand, I do find that to be admirable. I remember talking about Brandon Bernard and how she was helping, and I said in the video, way to go, Kim. And somebody said, what does she have to do with anything? And I'm like, look, while I'm not personally a fan, she's doing the right thing. And... um yeah. I will admit, there's a small part of me that gets a little frustrated sometimes, but at the end of the day, it is important to get big names behind these cases because they have influence. So, You know, it's a great, it's a great point. I'm not a fan either. In fact, I have been known to have a lot of criticism about that entire family. And I, I definitely have mixed feelings as well. I feel the same way about I have the same mixed feelings about white activists who get pushed in the front line for anti-black racism work when we all have been doing it for a hundred years without the same ability for like national exposure. And at the same time, it's like, we're all about the same mission. So at least it's for the cause, but I, I hear what you're saying sincerely. I understand that. It makes sense to me. I want to talk about a few of the people that you have specifically named and been 
really a strong advocate for. Would you just bring up a few names that have been really important in your work thus far? That'd be great. Thank you. Uh, Timothy McGruder, that's who my nonprofit is raising money for now for him to get a lawyer through tax deductible donations and just talk to him before I got on here. Along with his mom and sister, we were all on the same call. But with Timothy McGruder, I was started to advocate for him in February 2021. And what happened with him, people at St. Paul still remember this case to this day. It's really heartbreaking what happened. There was a gang that was shooting at a car, and uh, they thought it was a rival gang, and that car it wasn't. A uh, car pulled children, their moms, and heartbreakingly, a four-year-old girl was murdered. And uh, St. Paul was just devastated, and they were trying to look for the murderers behind it. Case went cold. And then, like 2001, three people were who were part of the gang that were behind that shooting were facing, three of those members were facing up to life in prison for drug trafficking. And so they said, okay, we'll make you a deal. You give us less prison time, we'll turn in the three people who did it. And the police said, okay, you'll get. Minimum 10 years, but definitely won't be life. So one of the people that they turned in was Timothy. And there's so much evidence to back up that he didn't do it, such as when the hit was ordered for the shootout, Timothy wasn't there. He was in jail due to drug-related charges. Oh, but that wasn't brought up in court. And this is where things get uh, more controversial. Keith Ellison this attorney general Minnesota now was his uh, lawyer. And unfortunately, I understand he's done a lot of good things, but unfortunately, as his attorney, he did a good job at proving who was behind the hit. Oh, but not proving Timothy's innocence. So he's one of the ones I've been working on full time. Let me ask you, how did they even get Timothy's name? How did these guys okay, so, even come up? Oh, that's a great question. So there have been articles that said he and two others were part of a gang. Oh, here's the truth is that Timothy did sell drugs and something that he has always regretted. But what happened was through that affiliation, because like he sold drugs, that gang sold drugs. They're in the same neighborhood. Oh. They got to know each other in passing. Because they were going to turn in members of their own gang. So. Wow. So is there anyone else you want to mention that you've been working on actively? Oh, absolutely. So there is a man named Sharon Edwards. And uh, this also infuriates me. So he did rob a man of his car keys. And he knows that was wrong. But there was a cop who targeted him. And he's done this to other pe- black people as well. His name was David Lindley. He was a member of the Mississippi clan. He got suspended for wearing his robe to work in 1998. And he targeted Sharon. And Sharon, the person he brought the car keys from, happened to be a son of a judge. So the judge proceeded over his oh. trial, pulled some strings to... So Timothy's initial sentence was already way too much, 20 years of federal prison. But David Lindley came along, added charges, like grand larceny, and stuff he did not do. And so when he did that, he got an additional 20 years in state prison. This is consecutive. So 
Wow. And it's unbelievable how this system doesn't work. There was a woman you mentioned recently, but I can't think of her name. You know? You're mentioning Savannah? Um, yes, yes. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I've been working along with her, her sister, because something else I want to do with my nonprofit that I'm currently doing is it's about the humane treatment of prisoners. This whole prison system, the justice system, needs to be abolished completely. And then we need to rebuild it. I understand that you can't reform this. Absolutely not. But I do still want to advocate for the humane treatment of prisoners, which people get all twisted up and say, you don't want them to be pun criminals to be punished. Never said that. But what happened with Savannah was uh, she's a transgender woman in a men's federal prison. Uh, she was doing regular cleaning duties. She had a mop and she accidentally poked her right breast and implant deflated and uh, for five years now she's been begging for help because uh, she'll often lose feelings in her fingers hands her legs can't hardly sleep at one point in time she did see a surgeon and he said yeah we have to re replace the implant because with implants you either have to replace them every 10 years or just get them removed after 10 years or else they'll start to poison you and with her, if things aren't corrected, it will turn fatal. Is she in a, the women's prison? No, she's in a men's prison. Wow. Talking about inhumane treatment, I saw, I posted something the other day about this, I think it's in Alabama, this prison where um, the water burst. Mm -hmm. Like, what? What is going on? Yeah, I've attended some protests about this. Um, I've seen all kinds of videos I've shared on my account about the prison system here. I just, the stuff that they go through here, it's just so I, horrific as being too nice. Like, I, yeah. I have a video where, that I did show on my, that I repost on my TikTok. Um, it was uh, this one of the prisoners here in Alabama was on suicide watch and correctional officers were beating him. I lose words for this injustice system um, because people do not understand the difference between rehabilitation and punishment. Exactly. Yes, there are some people, there are some people who will not likely be rehabilitated, but let's look at why. We look at the long history of abuse marginalization and what do you think is going to happen to them you know when they come out of the corrupt foster care system or didn't have the support as children the lack of direction wh who do you think those children grow up to be and then poverty the mentality of hey i don't have it i gotta figure out how to get it it's not so dishonorable Nobody wants anybody getting murdered. It's a horrible, horrible situation. And you have to live with that the rest of your life if you have any bit of humanity. And some people don't. Um, but so many more people do. Yeah. And it's just as a result of how their lives were set up that they've been led down this track. Now, that, make them, that may make them sound like victims, but the reality is that not having access to an extreme nature does manifest in a victim circumstance, whether you want to call it that or not. Mm -hmm. So some people 
really deserve to be rehabilitated. And there's nothing about the injustice system that rehabilitates. Nothing. No. And uh, it's just and it, like you said, there's nothing about it that rehabilitates, nothing that prepares them to go back into regular society because they want you to come back in. The recidivism. It's like the school to prison pipeline. You prepare them very early for a system that's going to keep them incarcerated. And the recidivism is extremely high. And yet that's never looked at. Right. That's never considered. Right. And so many of these people are nonviolent criminals mm -hmm. or drug dealers and uh, marijuana dealers yeah. who are still in prison, which is just unheard of while corporations yeah. make money off of marijuana. It's like the system has no humanity, no conscience right. about humanity oh, whatsoever. No. They feel for the person who was targeted as the victim of the crime, but not at all for the child who grew up to be the perpetrator, which I find just so hypocritical. Oh, I agree. Is that, does that make sense to Absolutely. you? Absolutely. You agree? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I want to talk about your nonprofit. Will you, where can people say, talk about a little bit what it is, how people can donate? Thank you. Go so it's Voiceless Behind Bars, voicelessbehindbars.org. And with Voiceless Behind Bars, we raise money for the wrongfully convicted to help pay their legal fees so they can hopefully get their wrongfully convicted cases overturned because so many of them need a lawyer. So if not to get a retrial to help them file the, their appeals because their appeals get rejected so often because they don't know how to write them. They don't know all the legal work. So hiring an attorney to help would do so much. And like I said, the donations are tax deductible. And so right now we're helping Timothy. I would eventually like, hopefully in the future, to expand it to where we have more people and staff because my husband's on it, my sister's on it. But hopefully in the future we can have more people and staff so we can help out more than one person. And uh, with my nonprofit, Voiceless Behind Bars, there is a section where on the blog portion, it says, look, our UNA mate who's being mistreated want to hear from you. And so I, this is what I also want to do with that is draw attention to these prisons. So you said it's tax deductible. So they just have to go on, make the donation, and then obviously keep the receipt for taxes. Yes. Tax deductible receipt automatically gets emailed back to them. Okay. So. Great. And... When you think about what people need um, in prison besides justice, which we know they need, what are some of the messages you get uh, about what they need in terms of how they've been treated? Is it primarily advocacy or is it a letter? What, is, what do they say? They absolutely need people to get the word out about their cases. So the reason why I needed voices behind bars is when Timothy's son Terrence reached out to me, he said... He just wants to be heard. And my thought was, how many people are in prison right now who are wrongfully convicted, people in general, who are being listened to? And that's the thing. They want to be heard. Like his son said, um, they want someone to listen and say, okay, could you amplify this? And yeah. They want people to hear them and tell them you are valid because so many people are like, oh, they're in jail. Okay, well, and another thing they need is uh, communication, letters written to them. Okay, thank you. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit because 
I love this. You really came for Bethany Frankel. You really came for her, one of your TikToks. And, you know, my question is, why do you think so many white women like her are obsessed with black women? So this is something I've been noticing for a long time. And I believe a lot of white women like Bethany are so obsessed with black women because, to be honest with you, black women, they don't, they're not here to take your crap. They're, they will sit there. <laughs> They will tell you like it is, and they're very honest. A lot of white women oh, tend to be real meek and sit there smiling, and nod, and they're sitting there like, oh, what, man, I wish we could just be more blunt. And black women, and I'm not saying I understand what's going on in their head, but they exude confidence. And a lot of us also think, oh, I wish I had that confidence. And and so instead of admiring it, having a conversation, what can we learn? We do what we're taught, which is not an excuse, but we do what we're taught, which is, okay, I'm going to get mad, lash out, show my jealousy, resent you. Yeah, it's an interesting observation. Um, so as we wrap up, I want to ask you from your perspective, what do you think? Uh, the most important thing people should know about the work you do in order to change the narrative um, for those who are innocent and in prison? So it, wrongful convictions, just they're more common than people realize. And no, I cannot imagine being in prison for a crime I didn't commit. And I can't imagine being behind bars thinking, well, somebody please listen and i ask people to look within their hearts and think you know what if this for me what if this for somebody that i love and because again it happens all the time and so i just ask people to look within their hearts when it comes to caring when it comes to getting at least a little bit involved and that's what we're trying to do with voices behind bars is hopefully help get these people a second chance and yeah. Also, of course, to listen and also that, look, when it comes to prisoners, I understand. But and like I said, being punished is one thing, but inhumane treatment, no reform, that's not going to solve anything that makes it worse. So that's uh, I something that. I want to always put out there. I appreciate that. You know, you're such a sweetheart and thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for DMing me and just being in contact for your patience and flexibility. I really appreciate it. It's been really, I just think, helpful to have different voices say things that are really important to be heard. And I definitely think that you are changing the narrative. That's what we're here to do. And I appreciate your work. My final question is, how do you feel about the death penalty? Oh, it needs to be abolished. It does not solve anything. Oh, Studies show that it doesn't have any effect on crime. Obviously, people are scared to commit these crimes like murder, stuff like that, because they know very well they could get the death penalty. It's not, it's not stopping them. Also, we have people who have been wrongfully executed, like here in Alabama, Nathaniel Woods. And just overall, even if, like I said, the person is guilty, not only does it not help anything, it's still so cruel. And the way they go about it, I also re read it from the family's point of view. 
watching their their parents go. Oh, yeah. And people are always crying about like tax dollars. This goes on our tax dollars. It's more expensive for our tax dollars for someone to be executed than be in prison for life. People don't believe that, but I have read that too many times that it costs more. Mm-hmm. And you're also punishing the family. You are. Of, you know, and furthermore, how people are killed is just as inhumane as the crime that they've done. So how do we justify that as a country that claims to be so progressive? I agree. It just doesn't make sense to me. That's painful. All right, Sarah, thank you so much. Uh, this was a really, really important conversation. Thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate you. Take care. Thank you. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.